0: following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and find the book of Acts and we're going to be in chapter 1 for our message tonight, Be a Witness, Not an Evangelist. This message was born out of some conversations I've had recently with people about how to effectively share our faith in Christ with others. And here's what I think. I think most of us want to share our faith. We have a desire to have spiritual conversations with our loved ones and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors and anybody else who we talk to. We just don't want to come across as overbearing because we've had others who have talked to us about their faith and have been overbearing in the way they shared. We also don't know the best way sometimes to bring the conversation around to spiritual things without being awkward. Uh, We're not consciously thinking about how to relate to others a lot of times spiritually. So I hope this message is going to help all of us tonight with those kinds of things, especially in how to be a better witness for Christ. So I'd like to start off tonight with a word association game, okay? I'm going to say a word or two, And I want you to see what comes to your mind, okay? When I say the word or words, you think of the picture in your mind. What comes to your mind when you think of a cowboy? Anybody think of a horse? (laughs) Anybody think of a cowboy hat? Uh, Anybody think of guns? What about, uh, what Roy Rogers, okay. (laughs) That's good, a particular cowboy. What comes to your mind when you think of a a librarian? Books, exactly. What else? Glasses, Glasses. yeah, I thought of that. What else? Quiet, Quiet, silence, absolutely. What comes to your mind when you think of a sumo wrestler? (laughs) Fat, heavyset. A loincloth basically <laughs> covering them, right? Okay, finally, what comes to your mind when you think of an evangelist? Hair, the hair. What else? Billy Graham. Billy Graham, very good. Anything else? The Bible, okay? I want to talk for a moment about that picture we have of an evangelist. Um, Whether we're thinking of something in a positive light, like the Bible or Billy Graham, or maybe even in a negative light like the hair or the loudness or the pounding the pulpit, um, you know, the, the flamboyancy of what we think of sometimes in evangelists. Whether your picture that came to mind was positive or negative, I think I can guess one thing we probably all had in common. I would guess that not one of us in here tonight thought of someone like ourselves. We didn't think of us. We thought of other pictures. And there's something about this idea of an evangelist or even evangelism in our world today that, that you know, really kind of sets wrong with us. We have this confrontational, sales-oriented picture in a lot of our minds. And, if, and we think if that's what it means to be an evangelist, well, I'm not going to go there. So we have large numbers of people, good people, Christians, followers of Christ, who care about the condition of their spiritual lost friends and co-workers. And large numbers of people are afraid, if they get too intentional about spreading the message of Jesus Christ, They'll become obnoxious or they'll become offensive. They'll have to behave in ways that are not natural to them. And so many of us, followers of Christ, make an unspoken vow in our minds to, well, we're just gonna go to church and we're gonna grow spiritually ourselves, but we're rather reluctant to share our faith with others outside of ourselves. We're gonna stay connected to Christ and the church and we're gonna serve wherever we can serve. We're going to let other people evangelize. I'll read my Bible. I'll be a greeter. I'll be a life group teacher. I'll help with with kids. All those wonderful areas to serve. But I'm here to tell you, in all those areas, if we're not also thinking about being a witness and sharing our faith, it's, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy for lost people. It's a tragedy for ourselves and the impact that we could have on those around us. And I know you want to share because I want to share. So let me suggest we need to stop thinking about evangelizing and start thinking about witnessing. And when you think about witnesses in a court of law, there's no stereotypical witness. Anybody can be a witness. They call to the stand a waitress or a CEO. Witnessing isn't threatening, you're just testifying. To what you saw and what you experienced. So there are all kinds of witnesses. There are expert witnesses. Some are just acquaintances. Some are very articulate. Some are not very polished. When you think about sharing the message of Jesus Christ, think about being a witness yourself to what you've seen and what you've experienced. That's what Jesus said the disciples would be. And everything they did and the places they went, they would testify to what they had seen and what they had heard. And we read in the book of Acts that these disciples went on from here in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they just witnessed all over the place. And it wasn't just these leaders, these uh, church leaders. The early church grew because everybody who was a follower of Christ talked about what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Church historian Michael Green wrote a book about how the church just exploded in growth in the first three centuries. And he said that what's so unusual about that is that after the apostles, there were no famous leaders or communicators who kept this effort going. The explosive growth in the early church happened one person at a time. One life at a time. In fact, it was multiplied growth as People told their friends, and those friends told other friends, and those friends told friends. The church just grew. So we see that outreach is for everyone. It's merely being a witness, testifying to the people around us that we're connected to, what God has done for us, and inviting them to experience Him too. So what does a witness for Christ look like? What does a witness for Christ need in his or her life? Well, this evening from our text, I'm going to hopefully answer those questions because this isn't an exhaustive list of answers, but there's some important principles here we need to consider about being a witness. So let's read our text, and then we'll come back and look at how these verses apply to our lives. Follow along, Acts 1, we're gonna read verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Let me just pause there to say the disciples are asking of Jesus, Are you finally going to establish your kingdom? And he said to them, verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So Jesus answers their question. He says, it's not for you to know. I have this phrase highlighted in my Bible, okay, because it's so important. What makes me think I need to know everything? I don't. Neither do you. It's okay if we don't know everything. Certain things are not for us to know. And that's okay. Look at verse 8 and following. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So this was Jesus' last day on planet earth. And what he did serves as a powerful lesson for believers of all times and all places. Picture the scene. Over 500 disciples stood in some remote spot, probably on top of a mountain. They surrounded Christ. And the disciples asked Jesus a revealing question. Was he going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Was that the reason he called everybody together for this meeting? The reason that he was stressing the importance of them gathering together. And the revealing thing is this. The disciples, even after everything they'd gone through, after the crucifixion, the resurrection, the resurrection, the times that Jesus had appeared to various people after the resurrection, they were still thinking in earthly terms and physical Messiah and material rule and reign for themselves and the nation of Israel. Now we always need to remember Christ is going to set up his kingdom on earth. We just got through with 2 Thessalonians, which has a lot to do with end times. It has a lot to do with the kingdom of God being set up. We looked at the rapture of the church. We looked at the millennial period and, and all that good stuff. So there is a future aspect of him setting up his kingdom. The Lord's prayer assures us of this, Matthew six ten, He promised the apostles that they would uh, judge people. But he also promised believers that they would receive a hundredfold and rule over the earth. So all that's part of the process. But the concern of those of us who are here tonight as believers is until he returns, how can we share our faith more effectively? So here's the first thing to see. Christians need more than just the right tools. We also need the right power. Look at the first part of verse 8 in your Bibles again. In fact, you might want to highlight it or underline it or make it stand out, circle it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Like the lights in this building or the lights in your home, we can have the right equipment, we can have a light switch, wiring, bulbs, all the rest, and even the desire to turn the lights on. But without power, nothing happens. We uh, pray for the uh, people in Texas, don't we, with all the tragedies of the cold and the And the winter storms that have knocked out so much power. And I think we've seen how much we rely on power to keep our our water going and clean. And to keep our our heat going so that we don't freeze to death. And there have been a lot of deaths. And we need to pray for those families because um, they have been affected in such a, a terrible way. Jesus knew that the disciples had the right equipment or the right tools He knew they had the right method. They had the right message. Now they just needed the power. Now we've got a lot of tools to share our faith. We've got the Bible you have in your hands right now. Prayers that we can offer up for people we know who are lost. The teaching like this message tonight that you're hearing. The many messages that you can download on podcasts and listen to on your your cell phone or in your car. Or when you go for a walk. But we also need to apply the power source of the Holy Spirit of God to enable those tools to be effective. Unfortunately, sometimes as followers of Christ, we are great about knowing about the power of the Holy Spirit without applying His power to our lives. Let me give you an illustration. A number of years ago on a daytime talk show, a guest appeared who was a bodybuilder. As he entered with his huge muscle frame, the crowd went crazy with applause as he flexed his muscles, walking over to his seat to be interviewed. The host's first question seemed to catch the bodybuilder off guard, however. He asked him, what do you use all those muscles for? A bit puzzled, the bodybuilder simply stood up, flexed his muscles again, while the crowd applauded wildly. As he sat down, the host asked him a second time, what do you use all those muscles for? Again, with a puzzled and somewhat frustrated appearance, the bodybuilder stood up again, flexed his muscles, and once again, the audience cheered. The host, however, was undaunted and insisted a third time, what do you use those muscles for? The bodybuilder was stumped and had no answer. All he could do was sit there and look bewildered at the questions being thrown at him. You see, this man was, he, he had the muscles, but he didn't know why he had them. He didn't have a purpose for using them. The Holy Spirit wants us to have a purpose for using the power that he gives us. And he clearly states this in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The power of the Holy Spirit is not for applause as much as it is for application. When you were converted to Christ, it was never meant to just be an emotional experience to make you feel better. Now, I remember my conversion. I remember when I prayed to receive Christ for the first time and asked Him into my heart, repented of my sins and trusted in Him as my Savior. I felt good. It was a great feeling. But we were never meant to stay in that good feeling experience and just let that be all there is about life. It was meant to empower us to be witnesses to talk about Jesus Christ with others. Look at the transformation of these Christians after Jesus ascends and then the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them. These shy, somewhat frightened disciples now had boldness, they had a sense of unity. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel was penetrating society, not because of man's ability to share the gospel in an effective way. No, they relied on the power of God to share the gospel effectively. The steam in a locomotive does not exist to blow the whistle. Its purpose is to power the engine, to get the train moving down the tracks. So too, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is not given to us to feel all these emotional highs and warm, fuzzy feelings. The Spirit comes upon people in order for the message of the gospel to be spread throughout the world. As we look at the book of Acts and it unfolds, that's exactly what happened. They were witnesses wherever they went. And people listened to them. Why? Because they had power. They were credible. In Acts 4.13, we see an exchange with a hostile group trying to suppress the witness of the disciples. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note of these men, they had been with Jesus. Keep that phrase in mind, people were astonished by what they saw in these men's lives. and They noticed they'd been with Jesus. You know the question for us is when we have our quiet times, when we have our prayer time with the Lord, when we read our Bible personally and we go out, are we going in power? Do people tell that we've been with Jesus by the countenance on our face and by the way that we share what we were reading? The power of the Holy Spirit enables us to penetrate society with the power of the gospel. Look at the last part of verse 8 of Acts 1. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. Now, notice Jesus said, he didn't say, you will witness. What did he say? He said, you will be my witnesses. That means things happen in a natural and an even supernatural way through us. As we're a witness to his truths, Billy Sunday was a, a wonderful uh, preacher, and he he ministered and helped save the lives of many drug addicts and alcoholics, and a lot of people who were addicted to many things. He used to say this: "The Lord has anointed me to preach to the guttermost parts of the earth." <laughs> That's where his mission was. What made Billy Sunday? So effective. What drove D.L. Moody or R.A. Torrey or Charles Finney? Read their biographies and you will see without exception, all of these men relied on an undeniable encounter with God and the power of the Holy Spirit. In order to go from place to place, person to person, and be heard by the crowds and accepted by the crowds... The disciples needed to be truthful in what they said so that their credibility would not be shot. You see, a witness just tells the truth. They just testify to what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. Peter sums it up in 2 Peter 1:16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's what people want in a court of law. They want somebody who's going to give firsthand testimony. Not hearsay, but testimony. Anything else, they throw out. The jury wants to know what you saw, when you saw it, what you heard, and how you heard it. And that's what the people around us need to hear too. The people around us need to hear a testimony from someone they can trust. You know, if the disciples had been articulate speakers, but they had not lived ethical lives, obeying the commands of God, servant kind of lives, caring for others, people may have been impressed by them, but they wouldn't have listened to them. Because they would have said one thing, but they would have done another. They wouldn't have trusted what they were saying because it didn't match up with what they were doing. It wouldn't match up with the way they were living. I remember being in a hotel uh, when Melly and I had taken a trip, and she was back in the room, and I was down in the fitness center walking on the treadmill. Now, it's usually the other way around, okay? I'll be honest with you, okay? <laughs> I'm usually back in the room drinking coffee, and she's exercising. But in this case, I happen to be walking on the treadmill, and they had this TV on the wall so that people who were walking on the treadmill could watch the TV. The only problem was they didn't have a remote, and you couldn't reach the TV, so you couldn't change the channel, Okay? The TV's turned into this certain station, and nobody can change it to a different channel. Well, while I walked, there was a show, and it started getting very inappropriate. And I had to make a decision. Do I keep exercising and watching this filth, or do do I leave? Do I just remove myself? So I left. And here's a big reason why. I wanted to be honest. I didn't want my wife or anybody else, for that matter, walking into that fitness center and seeing me there with that show on. So when it comes to witnessing for Jesus, just trying to be a good witness doesn't cut it. If you and I are going to be effective witnesses, we've got to live holy lives. We've got to live lives that are consistent and transparent to what has happened from Christ. People who watch us, when we live holy lives, will want to know, why do you go to church? Why do you read your Bible? How is it that when you face some kind of crisis, you seem to be at peace? Why is it you don't get frustrated so easily, like I do? It's so important to look at what role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives to help us to be consistent in what we do. Now, a lot of us hold back. We don't bring the subject of faith or spiritual things up because we're afraid people are going to ask us questions we don't know the answers to. And we don't want to go there because we don't want to look foolish. Well, here's what to say when someone asks you a question you don't know. It's a foolproof technique. Okay, you ready? Just say, I don't know. (laughs) Let's practice. Everybody say, I don't know. Very good, all right? Now, if you think it's really important and you don't know, then you can say something like, well, let me check on that and I'll get back to you, okay? Once again, too many of us are trying to approach this whole sharing our faith like it's a sales presentation. We've got to have all the answers. But the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin and to lead them into His forever family. Our job is simply to tell the truth. And frankly, that's more persuasive anyway than being a know-it-all and having all the answers. Let me tell you this true story. I remember reading a few years ago, about a lady who had a friend that was lost, but she was seeking. And this lady was trying to witness and help her friend come to faith in Christ. Well, one day, her friend asked her out of the blue, hey, how does God speak to you? And the lady said, well, mostly through prayer and the Bible. And then her mind just went blank. And she didn't know what else to say. She couldn't think of anything else. And so the friend just left. And she says, I remember it never failed. Every time this lost friend asked about God or salvation, I started to answer the question and then became tongue-tied. I felt like such a failure at witnessing. But one morning, the friend excitedly told her, I invited Christ into my life last night. Thank you for not preaching to me when I asked questions. Everybody else told me too much at once and I got confused. You just told me a little bit at a time. You see... That lady thought she was a failure when in reality she was being the most successful at being a witness. You don't have to say it perfectly. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to give an honest testimony of what God has done for you. What you know about him from the Bible. And let's be honest. Most of us know enough to be able to share that. And then you see it's not enough to have a story to tell. You have to be willing to share it. Verse 9. And when he had said these things and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. When the temple was dedicated, Scripture records the cloud of glory filling it. Here in Acts, I believe Luke is speaking of the same kind of cloud of glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord. So this verse 9 is the launch of the witnesses of Christ to go out into the world for the glory of God and to live their lives for Christ and to share the story of Jesus. Now, what would have happened had those early disciples who were supposed to be the witnesses to carry the story to the world, what would have happened if they didn't fulfill their calling? What if they had not gone on mission for Christ? Well, we know what would have happened. The movement would have died. It would have died... When Jesus went back to the Father, right then and there. It's not enough just to have a story to tell, we have to be willing to share it. I have some uh, penetrating oil in my home in a small can, and I found that it's useless when it's just sitting in the can. (laughs) It has to be applied to something in order for it to work. The power of the Holy Spirit was never meant to just sit in a person to let them have a tremendous feeling of God's presence. It was meant to be applied to being testimony, to sharing our testimonies about who Jesus is. The power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be witnesses. And here's where it all comes down. I'm sure you've seen the story played out in a movie or a TV show where there's a star witness, right? Somebody that's going to, you know, bring the prosecution's case to a close. There's someone who's seen the crime, but they won't come forward. They won't give their testimonies. And sometimes the lawyers can't even find them. They don't know where they are. An unavailable witness is just as bad as no witness at all. You see, the witness saw what happened, experienced it, but then is unavailable. There are people all around us who are dying spiritually and they're headed for a Christless eternity and they need to hear from us and we hold back. We don't want to be pushy like we were talking about earlier, but we go to the opposite extreme. We don't say anything. We're not willing to risk getting out of our comfort zone and sharing what Christ has done for us. Now, picture the scene of the, the prosecutor prosecuting attorney finding the key witness. Isn't that a great... I mean, we know where you are, and now the prosecuting attorney is able to talk the witness to coming into court and sharing about what they saw. You and I are here tonight because those disciples were like that. They were willing to lay it all on the line, even risking their lives, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people listened, some people didn't. Some people wanted to persecute them. And shut down their message. Keep them from testifying. Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 24. He's talking about the risks he's taken and some of the trouble he's gone through. And he says this in verse 24. But I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. I will lay it all out. I will do whatever I have to do. We have to risk a lot of times in sharing our faith. The more we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the more we will live victoriously over sinful ways. Look at verses 10 and 11. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I'm convinced We place a lot of emphasis on the birth of Christ, and we should. We place a lot of emphasis on the resurrection of Christ, and we should. But I think we need to make more of an emphasis on the ascension of Christ. The ascension is one of the most important events in the redemption of God's people. It has tremendous ramifications for our lives. Certainly, foremost, the ascension of Christ completes the exaltation of the Son of God. What the resurrection began, the ascension of the glorified Christ going into heaven completes. The promises are now reality. In fact, what does the Bible say Jesus did after he got back to heaven? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that's where he is right now until he comes back. Jesus Christ has ascended back to heaven to show that he's superior to all prophets, all priests, all kings. He's the final prophet, the final priest, the final king. King, And Peter tells us that all angels, all authorities, all powers are now in subjection to him who sets alone at the right hand of God. He's king of kings and Lord of lords and he has power that he wants to make available to us. Now power can be used in at least two ways. It can be unleashed or it can be harnessed. You can take a gallon of gasoline and drop a match into it and watch it unleash its power with a big bang, Or you can run it through a carburetor in an engine of a car and a controlled burn will help that car to go and travel. Since the Spirit of God is at odds with the Spirit of the flesh, the more we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the more we're going to be victorious over the sinful ways of the flesh. Now, if that's going to happen in our lives, we've got to have a resolved. And it's going to come from this. I want to be a powerful witness, letting the Holy Spirit empower me to to share a testimony about Christ because I love people. That's why I go. Not because I'm compelled to go or I'm commanded to go, although we are. Our driving force should be we love God and we love other people. We try to tell ourselves, you know, I need a a program to teach me how to evangelize. Or I need more training. If I could just uh, sit under some teaching about what it means to share my faith, I'd be able to share Christ more. Who are we kidding? (laughs) We don't need more training. We need more love. Think about this. How many grandparents have to be trained how to share about their love for their grandchildren? (laughs) How many of us parents had to have somebody tell us about our love for our children and how we had to share that with others? <laughs> I mean, you remember years ago before cell phones, people had pictures in their wallet. Remember that? Remember, remember the old picture, uh, uh, the bunch of pictures that you just throw out in the wallet and you just kind of like an accordion, it'd fall down, you know? Now we have cell phones, right? And we have tablets and we have pictures on that. So we show people our, our pictures of our kids, what we're proud of. If you love somebody, you're going to be excited about sharing that love with others. And that's where it comes down to being an effective follower of Christ and sharing that testimony. Too many times we get, we get wrapped up in our own little world and we isolate ourselves from people who need to hear the gospel. Many believers are like, I was thinking about this, like hobbit Christians. In the morning, they pop out of their little hobbit homes. They, they hold their breath at work. They scurry home to their families and then even off to Bible studies or worship or church. Finally, at the end of the day, they go back into their hobbit homes praying for the unbelievers they safely avoided all day. You know, studies have borne this out. I've seen several studies that have shown that the longer a person goes in their Christian life, the fewer non-believing friends and associates they end up having. In fact, the longer we are Christians, the more isolated our lives can become from the people around us who aren't followers of Christ. When a person begins their Christian life, it's like they have the small window of understanding of who God is. And and our love for Him is is limited, but it's limited in the sense of our gratitude for what He's done for us. And and the forgiveness that we've experienced. But as time goes on and we, we grow up in our Christian faith, we learn more and more about God. But then here's the sad part. At the same time, while the knowledge of God increases, the love of God, the love that we have for God, oftentimes dims. We grow more isolated, less compassionate, less connected. And so our heart for God is not where it needs to be, even though the knowledge is there. God has brought specific people into our lives that he wants us to reach for him. Some of those people in our lives are very far from God, and they know it, and they know they need to be closer. Maybe they're searching for God, maybe they're not, but they are not Christ followers. They're lost. They don't go to church. They don't claim the name of Christ. There are other people in our lives who have come to faith in Christ. They're believers, but they're drifting, or they're backslidden. They've drifted away from their involvement in a local church, and God wants us to encourage them to get back into the fellowship. Let us continually be aware of an ongoing mental list in our minds of people God has brought into our lives. I'm not even talking about bringing new people. I'm talking about people who are in our lives right now. Join with me in making a commitment to start praying about this and asking God to give us eyes to see the needs of people around us. Perhaps the problem is not a lack of people Who need to hear about Christ. It's the need of a better awareness that we need. To be intentional about sharing our faith with them. So just make this commitment. Over the next few weeks or maybe few months. Pray for these people by name. And as time goes on and you interact with them. You'll discover new ways you can pray for them. And then maybe over time when the time is right. And you have the opportunity. You can witness about Jesus Christ. And tell them what God has done in your life. And if we're sensitive about that, if we're intentional about that, it'll happen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfordchurch.org. Blessings.